God bless you. I'd like to read a passage of Scripture right quick. And if you have your Bibles or if you can read it, maybe they'll have it on the screen. I don't know. But I'd like to look to the book of John. And it's, an, it's a familiar passage, the book of John. And I'm, I'm really going to begin reading in verse 25 on the, on the screen. They may start with 27. But Jesus is speaking, John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered the Jews who were sarcastically and evilly questioning him. Jesus said, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Verse 27 is really where I'm beginning tonight. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, this is a unique passage, and, and Jesus brings in some, some special message here, some special teaching messages, and I would like to try to blend them a little and try to head in a particular direction. God bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I've brought up something here with me today, tonight, and so those on you on the back can see. How many of you have ever seen one of these? I see a few. How many of you have one of these or something similar? That's called a globe. It's not a map. It's a globe for those of you that don't know. There's a little switch down here. You can turn it on and you can turn it off. Isn't that cool? This is old school. When I was less than 10 years old, it's been many years ago, when I was less than 10 years old, my mother and dad bought this and it stayed in our living room at home. And there has been many school assignments that I have come to this particular globe to find the city or state or country that the assignment was about. If you would look on this now, you would find countries that don't even exist anymore. Yeah, there are countries on here. Don't, there are cities on here. Totally different name. City's gone. Uh, but it's an interesting globe. Uh, missionaries would come to my home church. They would say whatever country they were from, the missionaries. And when I got home after church, I would find them on the globe. <laughs> it was just kind of a neat deal. And the scripture that I read today, verse 28, and I give... Unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And I'd like to preach tonight from an old song. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. You believe that? He's got the whole world in his hand. I probably got that map. Our family got it, but that globe, sorry, that globe, we probably got that around 1963 when mother and dad passed away and we were kind of sorting through some of the stuff. 
my brother and I, the only two uh, children. And so we were talking about what we want. I said, I told him, I said, well, Davey, we, we tried to be harmonious about all that dividing stuff. It just makes for better relations if you can do that harmonious. And so I said, Davey, if you don't want the globe, I do. He said, oh, I don't want it. I've seen it there a long time. He lives in town. I didn't. And so I got the globe. So it's now at my home, and I can go and look at it, see what countries aren't there anymore. He's got the whole world in his hand. You can rest assured tonight, he's got your world in his hand. Back in 1945, the World War II ended. It was a victorious time. World War I had came and gone. That was a very tough time, the war of all wars, supposedly, the war. And then the world got into another war. And so World War II, with all of its awfulness raged across the world in a sense we would say it never came to our coast when in reality it came to Hawaii but it never came into our coast it affected our our soldiers our families but no bombs were dropped on continental USA but it was still a very traumatic time and when that war finally came to a close in the hearts of, this is before I was born. In the hearts of people, how many of you were born in 1945? Were one, two, we're not asking you ladies your real age. But you were, you were there when that war came to a close. But everyone thought, now it's going to be wonderful now that the war is closed. They, the, the big bomb was dropped. And, and massive destruction occurred, and the war was, was over at that point, really. But, but that brought an awareness to the world. At the cessation of that particular war, people began to realize that that nuclear power is still in the hands of nations in this world. And so we went into what was called a Cold War era. For some of you history buffs, you may appreciate this, but let me just set the stage for a little bit tonight. When the Cold War began, now some of us remember when the Cold War ended, perhaps. It seems like we're kind of stirring the pot a little bit right now. But when the Cold War began at the close of World War II, People, they, they breathed a sigh of relief that the war was over, but at the same time, they realized a sense of, of, of dread because of what could happen. And the Cold War, primarily between the United States and the Soviet Union, whenever that particular two countries, two world powers, began standing toe-to-toe -to -toe on a nuclear line. The whole world was concerned because the power of world dominion and destruction was in the hands of just a very few people. You know, we talk about the red button or whatever you call it. That's where it really started. There was, a, there was a possibility of somebody pushing a button and bringing massive destruction to the world because the nuclear age that we had become a part of. And people began losing hope. It, was, it became a very hopeless time of history because people realized that just a few people in the world were really controlling the world. 
They didn't like it. They were uncomfortable with it. They were hopeless. They were in despair. As long as the war was being fought, they had a hope of winning. There was that thrill, that, that, that thrill that comes with conquering. But now during the Cold War times, it wasn't a war. There wasn't that, that thrill of excitement in a war times that can sometimes be there. But instead, it was a dull dread, a hopelessness, a despair of what could happen. And they felt that even God wasn't in control. And right about that time, there was a famous editorial that was wrote, Is God Dead? This has nothing to do with the Beatles' uh, time of saying some things, but this was, this was what an editor wrote. Is asked the question, Is God Dead? And he made a projection that, that God was dead. And that kind of became a feeling throughout many people in the world. And that, that, that level of hopelessness, as it escalated, and editorials and other things began to be written about what is, where is God in all of this? In 1957, just a few years after the World War II ended in 45, in 1957, a little 13-year-old boy in London, England, recorded a song. His name was Laurie London, a little 13-year-old boy. He reached back, even though he was across the waters, he reached back and got an American song. This American song was actually first published in 1927, one year after my dad was born. 1927, he wrote it, or, or it was first published. But it was probably actually written at least a century before that. It was written about a century before that and it was passed down from mouth to mouth, from family to family, to, from group to group. And then in 1927, it was finally published. And then in 1957, three years after I was born, shouldn't have told you that. Some of you mathematicians would be thinking. In 1957, Laurie London recorded this song in England, and it was a very big hit in England, but it became an even greater hit in the United States. For four weeks, it was the top song of the world. That's quite a, quite a feat. Now, he retired from singing when he was 19 years old. His singing abilities didn't carry over into adulthood, but Laurie made this song popular. The history of this particular song, though, this song was written in the, in the southern part of the United States during the slave times. We don't know who wrote it. We just know from tradition the group of people that it came from. It came through the lives and families of the slaves of southern United States. It came through that line of slaves that in a time when, and it was a horrible time, I'm not praising this time at all. It was a time when they, these slaves, were not even considered a human being often. It was a horrible time. It was a time when these slaves could be bought and sold on the whim of an owner. That is a horrible time. It's a time of injustice. It was a time when they did not know, the men did not know if they would be allowed to keep their families or if they would be sold off to another plantation owner. It was a horrible time. But during that time, there were some wonderful songs written. Songs like, Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, 
coming for to carry me home. And the song goes on. There was a lot of others of those spiritual songs that, that were written. I love singing those. They, they have something in them. But this one particular song was written by a slave a century and a half ago nearly now. And that slave was a, a hopeless Laurie London brought to life in 1957. Century and a half old. But he made it popular. Made it number one for four weeks across the world. And the song was, he's got the whole, he made a little up, upbeat thing out of it. Google sometime, Laurie London singing, it's still there. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's, and the way Laurie sang it, he's got the itty bitty baby. In his hands, he's got the itty-bitty baby. In his hands, he's got the itty-bitty baby. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got everybody. In his hands, he's got everybody. In his hands, he's got everybody. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, y'all ain't Laurie London. Listen to Laurie London singing it sometime. He's got the whole world in his hands. But that song, that his single recording, sold over a million copies here in the United States during that four-week time. And back in the day, back in 1957, that was a huge accomplishment. Why? Because people were in a hopeless stage. They were in the, in the throes of the Cold War. They were hopeless. They thought God had, had let them down. They thought God was no longer in control. Editors were writing, is God dead? Because they, they didn't see that intervening hand. And some little 13-year-old boy pulled back an old song and made it live again. And he brought hope to a generation of people. He's got the whole world in his hands. And one of the reasons that the song did so well is not because he sang it really well, although he did, not because of the, the, the tune or the upbeat, upbeat tempo he brought to it, but because of the message. They began to be aware that God is in control. God does have the whole world in his hands. And that's where I go back to my scriptures that I read a little bit ago at the first, John chapter 10. Excuse me. When y'all buy a computer, get one that will work with you, not against you. My, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then he clarified his own statement. He said, I and my Father are one. It's almost like Jesus was saying, you don't believe me? I'm telling you that no man can pluck you out of my hand. But you don't believe me? If you could see the future, not too distant future, they're going to nail these hands to the cross. You think that hands nailed to the cross can't hold you? Well, let me tell you, my father can. 
He is greater than all. My Father can hold you in His hand. No man can pluck you out of my Father's hand. But then just to explain to you, we're the same. We're one. My Father and I are one. He made a clarification, but He was accenting the fact, if you doubt me as a human, believe on that spiritual side. My Father can hold you and nobody can pluck you out of His hand can do it. I'm glad to know that. My sheep know my voice, and I know them. There was, that, there was a mutual recognition. The sheep know my voice, and I know my sheep. They follow me, and I give them eternal life. There was a giving and a receiving in that. There was something that God was offering to the people. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'd like to take us a little side road tonight. Just a brief side road. There are some people that take this passage of Scripture and say that because of what Jesus said, you're in my hand and nobody can pluck you out of my hand. They want to say that once you believe on Jesus Christ, no matter what you do with your life, no matter how you live, nobody can pluck you out. You will always be there. Once you are in his hand, you will always be in his hand. There's nothing you can do to get out of his hand. You can't sin. One old famous uh, guy of the past, he said, there's going to be a lot of people on the rapture day going up from bar stools because he was saying, you can live any old heathen way, but, but, but you're saved because you, at one time you believed on Jesus. But Jesus was not presenting that here, and I don't want to preach from this passage without clarifying that. Jesus plainly told them, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. He didn't say they start out, and then they quit, and I am keep leading, and they stop following, and no man going to pluck them out of my hand. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, when you, as you follow me, as you stick with me, as I'm leading and you're following along behind, nobody can pluck you out of my hand. Now you can quit following and you're up for the devil's grab. Luke 9, 23, 24, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 10, 38, he said, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The only way you're safe in his hand is if you're following him. So I just want to kind of make that little bit of a clarification. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, two particular verses I just want to read. One is 40, verse 12. The other is verse 26 prophet is speaking of Jehovah who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth, them, bringeth out their host by numbers. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of the might for he that is strong in power and not one faileth. Now that's two verses of scripture from Isaiah 40 that talks about the majestic power of God. I love the selections of songs tonight. How many times was, did we sing about mighty God? God is mighty. I loved it. One line even said we're a slave to darkness, but no longer. 
no longer. First, uh, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. The writer was saying, I am convinced, I am persuaded that God is able to keep me until that day. What day? That day. Whatever that day is, God's able to keep me in his hands. Hallelujah. I'm glad to know that. I'm glad to know that. For the rest of my time here tonight, I would like to go to Luke chapter 7, verse 11. And I would like to look at that story that that is told. It's an experience in the life of Jesus Christ. It's one of the miraculous days of Jesus Christ. In the book of Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Easy for you to remember. You've ever shopped at a 7-Eleven, bought gas at a 7-Eleven. Now you'll remember where this is. It's Luke 7-Eleven. Jesus is walking along comes into the city of Nain. And when he gets into the city of Nain, there is a funeral procession that is happening right there, live time. Jesus walks up on a funeral procession. I don't know if it was from his, his omniscience, his all-knowingness that he knew this, but it was a widow woman who was bringing her son to be buried. The group of people were there. They were carrying the 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 young man's body in a casket type thing and they're carrying it for it to be buried and Jesus comes on the scene and he sees the widow woman and he sees the the body in the, the casket and Jesus does what Jesus can do. He just, he just has the whole world in his hand. You know, when you think of the world, you've seen pictures of the world taken from the moon. And you know what the earth looks like? You can see the continents on it a bit and the swirl of clouds. And you can see the globe-shaped planet. And that's the earth. We, we can see it. But that's not what I'm talking about. When he's got the whole world in his hands... If, if you get a chance after service, come and feel this globe. You can, it's, it has little ridges and raised spots where the mountain ranges are. Isn't that cool? When was the last time you held a map that did that? No, maps don't do that. Globes have these little raised ridges. You can find out where the Ozarks are if you don't know. They haven't moved. They're still there. But I'm not talking about what you can see and feel and taste of the world. There's something else when I'm talking today about he's got the whole world in his hands. He not only has the world in his hand, he keeps planets lined up, he keeps things in orbit, he keeps all of the universe going and the galaxies going. He's Yes, he's got the hold of worlds in his hand, but I just want to tell you tonight, and this is where I'm heading, he's got your world in his hand. Sometimes we think our, our world is, is falling apart. 
We think our world is just collapsing around our, our head and shoulders. It's just, it's just collapsing. That's how we feel. But I want to tell you tonight, God's got your world in his hands. All he wants is for you to take your hands off so he can put it back in order. With this lady, he comes there. And Jesus does what he's so capable of doing. He looked at that, at that son that was in the casket. Jesus, when he saw the widow, he had compassion on her. He told her, weep not. Then he came and he touched the casket and the people who carried the casket stood still and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. I'd love to have been there. I say unto thee, arise. And, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak. I would have dropped that casket if I'd have been a pallbearer that day. Oh, ho, ho, ho. You, you five guys, y'all carry it. I'm through. But that guy didn't need a casket. He sat up, he spoke, and God gave the boy back to his mother. And that was a tremendous miracle. And God is still in the business of healing. He's still in the business of raising the dead. It's not a, an unusual thing across our globe for us to hear of people being raised from the dead, of people being healed miraculously. It's still a miracle that they are still miracles occurring in our world. But I want to talk a little bit about the lady today. Sometimes in our living in the world that we live in, we forget what it meant to be a widow in the time of Jesus Christ. That was a different day than now. They didn't have a Me Too movement in Jesus' day. The ladies from the normal run of the meal of people of the, of the thought patterns of the world, ladies were just possessions. They could not own property could not sit in the main seats in the synagogue or temple. There were extreme limitations on them. They could not inherit stuff at this day and time. And when their husband died, they had no one to provide for them. They didn't have Social Security. They didn't have all the other social benefits that we have from living in the United States of America today. They didn't have that. And so they were dependent on charity. The widows and the orphans, God commanded to take care of them. When a rich man had a large field, they would, they would not harvest the corner of those fields, and that's where the widows could go. They could pick a few little grains out of there enough to sustain themselves. Generally, they lived on the outskirts of the cities and the villages. They lived in lesser dwellings than everyone else because they had no man to provide for them. That's different from the way we are today. That was their social structure. If they had a son, though, they could still own the family property because it was going to go to the son when he got of age. And so they did. But in this case, this was the woman's only son. And he's died. Now she was grieving 
because her son had died, she loved him. But when Jesus told her to weep not, he was not just saying weep not because your son is dead and I'm going to raise him back to life. But he was saying, I am going to restore you positionally. I'm going to restore you to the position that you rightly have. You lost that when your son died. The inherited property that you had, you were holding it for the life of your son. Now that he's dead, all of your husband's family take the property back. You have nothing. You don't have a son to, to raise and to help you. You're all alone in a, in a world that only takes care of you by charity. But Jesus said, your own particular world, I want you to know I've got it in my hands and I want to restore to you the thing that the enemy has taken from you. And when I raise your son, I am also restoring you. I just want to tell you tonight, he's got the whole world in his hand. He keeps the galaxies going. Yes, he's that big of a God. He's mighty. He can raise the dead. He's got the whole world in his hands. Oh, I wish every one of you would take your cell phone out. Go to your pictures in your cell phone. If, if Brother Lee was preaching, he'd tell you all to take a picture of yourself. But I want you to not now because you'll get distracted and you, but I want you just to think about the pictures that you have on your phone. They represent your world. Your children are there. Your grandchildren are there. Your mom and dad are there. The big fish you caught. No, she's not here. <laughs> I was looking for Sister Perryman. She's not here. Sister Perriman's the only lady I know that fishes with that expensive purse wrapped around her. She catches big fish doing though. Tell her I said that. But in your, in your pictures, on your phone, that represents a lot of your world. If you would flip those, through those pictures, some of those pictures are going to bring sorrow to you when you see them. Those are the ones you don't post for everyone to see. There, there are pictures there that, that bring, that could, that drive you to your knees in prayer because of dilemmas, because of situations. There's not a person here whose world has not been rocked by something. You think you've had a lifetime of, trouble, uh, of pleasure, but when you really look at it, there's been struggles along the way. And when you, if you could look into the future, you may not want to go there because there may be more struggles in the future. But I just want to tell you, no matter what your world consists of, he's got the whole world in his hand. There is nothing in your world that God does not control. Injustices, that's what the slave who wrote the song, that's what he was dealing with was injustices. And in the case when Jesus was talking to the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7, she was dealing with injustices. Just because her son died, that should not have thrown her into poverty. 
But it was injustice. And that's what was going to happen. But Jesus stepped in in the presence of injustice and he, he made an, a, a mark on her life. He showed to her by what he did for the son that I have your world in my hands. I want to tell you tonight, God has your world in his hands. There is nothing in your world that God does not know. Jesus came on this particular funeral scene. He was not invited to participate. The woman didn't say, can you help me? Jesus looked. He had compassion. The Bible says he had compassion. And his compassion compelled him to act. That didn't happen every time. The blind Bartimaeus cried out, Lord, heal me. So there are some times in the Bible when, when people cried out to the Lord for help. There's other times when he stepped in out of compassion and helped them without them asking. But in our world today, when our world is all topsy-turvy and in, in disarray, I think it's wise if we say, God, would you come into my world? I'm tired of trying to keep my world turning all by myself. I just can't keep it all going, Lord. I need your help. Would you step into what seems like a funeral in my life? Would you step into my world and redeem some things? Lord, would you step into my world and restore some things? God, would you assure me again tonight that you've got my world in your hands? He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's not just a song that a little 13-year-old boy makes popular. It's not just a song that a slave wrote a century and a half ago. But it's a song that is true because it comes from the Word of God. John chapter 10 plainly states it. When we are in His hand following Him, nothing can pluck us out. God, you know what my world consists of. I know some of you in more deep ways than I know some others of you. But there's not a one in here that gets by unscathed from the ravishes of the culture we live in affecting our world. I'm so glad that I can stand here and declare tonight from a scriptural position that your world is secure in his hands. You have the power to take that world out of his hands, though. No one else can do it, but you can do it. 
That's why I encourage you just to remember. He's got the whole world in his hands. This is not just globes. This is not just planets. This is not just stars of universes. But he's got my personal world in his hands. If injustices are present, which they often are, some of those injustices you can't correct. I can't correct. We can stand in opposition against them, but we may not be strong enough to change some injustices in this world. But that doesn't mean that God deserts us in a time of injustice. He is still there with us. I think it's interesting that a song that was written by slaves who did not control their present and they really did not control their future as far as this world was concerned and yet they wrote a song that was going to give hope to a world in 1957 and 58 when it was finally hit the charts. Whenever it was such a huge hit, what made the difference was the truth of the song. And in the middle of fear, in the middle of wondering what is going on in the world, I'm glad to know that God has my life, my world in his hands. Hallelujah. Shall we stand? One songwriter wrote, in times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips a solid rock. Another writer wrote, keep me safe till the storm passes over. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. I just want to let you know he's got your world in, your hand, in his hands and he will keep you in the storm. He doesn't necessarily take your boat out of the rocky waves, but he will keep you secure in them. Just want to tell you the two or three people that I'm really speaking to right now, I want to tell you the Lighthouse Church is praying for you. As a congregation we are, as individuals we are, we know for a fact our world is in his hand and your world is in his hand. And we join together to declare that tonight. He's got your world in his hands.